in a world full of straight people. Aren't you glad there's WOW Presents Plus, the number one place in the world to see Drag Race? And so much more. Subscribe to WOW Presents Plus. Still only $4.99. Subscribe today as streamed on TV. Start your engines and join me in the new mobile game, RuPaul's Drag Race Superstar. May the best superstar win. Available now. Well, today I'm going solo. Matt McConkie Grassy has jury duty. So it is, uh, it is just me uh, today talking to someone I am so excited to talk to again. Uh, the writer and director of my favorite movie of 2023, my favorite movie of, of the, the last 10 years, perhaps. Uh, Andrew Hay, thank you so much for talking to us. Well, thank you. That's a nice, nice way to be introduced. So, thank you. Well, I mean, it's it is uh, it is the absolute truth. All of us strangers is is such a beautiful movie. Uh, and you are in LA right now. I understand. I'm in LA right now. Yeah, I've been uh -huh. backwards and forwards the last few months, but yeah, it's uh, right. it's good doing the doing the trail of talking about it and doing all those things. Yeah, uh, but no, it's great. It's good. How how is that for you as as the movie opens wider and wider how uh how, how have those conversations been it's you know look, look it's quite a long process sometimes when you're doing all the press because you know the film premiered in telluride and that's back in september so it's been a pretty long amount of time talking about it but the truth is that you know, sometimes you no one wants to talk to you and this time people do want to talk to me mm -hmm. and it helps people get to see the film and i'm really proud of the film and i'm glad that it's out there and being seen so i'm i'm you know i quite enjoy talking about it. there's lots of interesting conversations that i've had with people so no i i enjoy it especially you know when you get to talk about it in a little bit more detail it's, it's fun it's good okay good good uh, so here's here's how we're going to do this i want i want to talk to you about a whole lot of stuff andrew yeah um and so we're going to do that and we're going to talk about the movie a little bit and then we're going to take a break yeah and during that break listener if you have not yet seen All of Us Strangers, hit, uh, listen to something else. Stop listening. Come back after you have seen All of Us Strangers, because after the break, we will talk more in depth about the movie, if that's okay with you, Andrew. That sounds good. Perfect. Okay, good. Good. Because there are things... I, I like to go in blind. Uh, I had the, the, the luxury of being able to see it early in the process at a screening, and I knew very little... And uh, and it absolutely ripped my heart out through my neck, uh, and I want other people to have that same experience too. So that's 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 how we'll handle it. But Andrew, in all of us strangers, music has such uh, an important uh, role. Like it, it it not only sets us in a specific time, but it it gives us an insight into the character of Adam. Uh, so I have to ask, what are you, what are you currently in 2024 listening to? Someone else asked me that, and I couldn't think of what on earth I'm listening to, which is really, really? worrying to me because I I think it's because I've been doing this 
project and i have not i have literally not been listening to music i've been flying backwards and forwards and i basically listen to the same thing when i'm flying which is a max richter album uh i think it's called it's got three songs for virginia wolf uh-huh. and i listen to that when i'm okay. flying because it helps me sort of like i don't like flying so it helps me like calm down and disappear and forget that i'm thinking about flying. yeah but other than that i've sort of stopped listening to things there was the there was a hercules and the love affair album their new one that i think is probably two years ago now that i've been mm-hmm. listening to but it's been interesting because I've been making this film, I've been going back and listening to a lot of older music that I used to love. And that can be music from the 80s and the 90s. So I've been going back and I feel like I've been listening to a lot of 90s music that I was into at the time. Uh, you know, 90s indies music and British music and, you know, St. Etienne and the Boo Radleys and Spiritualized and all these kind of bands that I liked in the 90s. And I feel like this whole process of making this film has sort of dragged me back and I've been listening to yeah. a lot of older stuff than rather than newer stuff. So people come to me like, have you listened to this album? And I'm like, I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't even know who that is. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I look at I look at like a list of the top, you know, 50 albums of the year, according to people. And I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't know any of them. That happens fast, doesn't it? Really does. Really does. Yeah. yeah we're we're both men in our fifties. The yeah. um uh, the the festivals are starting to release their lineups now, and I and I've I've had a few years to get used to like n- not knowing the the majority of the bands that are listed, especially in the smaller print. This year they're coming out, and I'm like, I actually can't see the smaller print, so <laughs> now I need glasses to look at the names of oh, the acts God, that I'm not so going true. to recognize. Um, I did though. I did go and see the Pet Shop Boys in concert this year, or well, that was last year now. But I did yeah. go and see them in London when they were in London, which was awesome. So that was amazing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't go to gigs like I used to either. I was a big. I used to go to the gigs all the time, and I just haven't been going recently. Um, yeah. I feel like I need to get back into it again. Yeah, is that is that a cyclical thing? Is that just part of you know you're you're ending a, a work phase or? I think it's just you get busy, don't you? And then you have you don't want to go out all the time. And I get tired, you know. I'm getting older, and I don't want to go out. And I it's like, well, am I going to be standing up in that gig? Do I want to stand mm-hmm. up all night? And it's like, yeah. you know, I can't be bothered to do that anymore. So I like to you know know. Oh, oh yeah, it's going to be seated. I'll be fine. I can mm-hmm. sit through the night, but yeah. yeah. I, you know what? Sometimes it's easy to not push yourself to do the things that you actually really love. Um, you just sort of forget about those things sometimes. It's important sometimes to remember what you like doing and try and do those things. Exactly. Yeah, that, that creeping feeling does uh, kind of come up in life where it's like you make plans with somebody and then you're like, oh God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have <laughs> dinner with a friend. I know. Talking you know, to my friend? What awful. Yeah. I want to sit at home on the internet. That's what I want to do. Exactly. You're always happier for having gone, but the yeah. the the feeling of dread never quite leaves you. I, I remember that from my own parents when they were in their yeah. you know, 40s, 50s, always like, oh God, we, we didn't have to do this. And then they would come home having had a, ball. a nice time yeah of course um what are you are, are you uh watching anything or or is that also sort of at the end of i'm the, watching the some of the movies you know of this of this season let's call it whatever uh-huh. the words are so i've been yeah. watching a bunch of those movies i tend to sort of, when i'm at home i've been watching i haven't been watching a huge amount of tv um i have watched a bit of the crown uh the new season of the crown again i've been i sometimes go back to 
comfort TV. For me, TV is quite a comforting thing. So I might go back and watch like Season of the Comeback or whatever it might be. Oh, uh, and I know, God, that show is so good. I've been watching so it while good. I've been traveling. I'm like, it's so... How she did not win every single award that ever existed for that performance in the comeback, Lisa Kudrow, she's amazing yeah, in it. Absolutely amazing. amazing. It And painful in such a, a real and visceral way. Yeah. And you sort of hate her and absolutely adore her at exactly the same time. It's, it's yeah. amazing, amazing performance. Yeah. Um, so I heard, this is something that I heard and it makes perfect sense to me. Um, because they both kind of pass through the groundlings. But I heard that Valerie Cherish is based on Shelley Long. Who's Shelley Law? I don't know Shelley Long. Long from uh, from Cheers, oh, Shelley Long. early seasons of oh, Cheers. God, that, oh, I see. Shelley Long, sorry. Yes, yeah. that kind of makes sense. That does you can make kind of sense. see it. You, you can, can kind of see it in a strange way. I mean, they need to make another season of the comeback. I don't someone needs to make it. It needs to be Valerie Cherish on strike. I mean, yes. come on. It's, it's genius. Absolutely yeah. genius. Trying to uh, establish a, a presence on TikTok <laughs> oh, or, or get onto a Amazing. Housewives franchise. Um, totally. uh, did anything stand out among the uh, the the big awards kind of movies of 23? No, I really like Past Lives. I really like Anatomy of a Fall. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of really good films this year. Mm. And I, I, I always get a... It's funny because I'm part of it at the moment, but you get a little bit frustrated because what happens is all of these films, you're trying to see them at the same time and you don't give them the space that I think actually you want to give space to films. So I just wish sometimes that everything was spread out over the year, slowly and gradually. So you could yeah. sort of see all of these, but it's not how it works. Everything gets crammed into a three month period and you actually end up missing lots of really good films. And then you're supposed yeah. to vote for them and half of them you've still not seen. Right. There should be monthly mini Oscars. Exactly. Or, I hate to say it, just don't have the Oscars for a few years and see what happens. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I think we're kind of potentially getting there. Yeah, I mean, maybe. That's true. It's a, I don't know if you've walked through the, uh, the, the Kodak Theater hallway at Hollywood and Highland, but they have all the Best Picture winners are, are, are like up on these giant pillars. And they have entries that are blank all the way up through like 2080. I just oh, feel like that's, that's oh, optimism Jesus. for you. Wow. God. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be doing something different in 2080. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you watch the crown. What is your personal take on uh, Harry and Megan? Look, and I'm completely do, I'm not a fan of the Royal family as an institution. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I never have been. Uh, I don't feel like we should have a royal family. I've never wanted one since I was, since I, since being a teenager. I've been anti them for everything. But at the same time, I still end up watching The Crown, which is a very strange thing. Uh, so it's been quite interesting. I try not to think about Harry and Ma Harry and Meghan too much. Yeah. I'll let yeah. them do their thing, and I don't sort of let it <laughs> let it enter my mind. Yeah, let, they're just celebrities. Let them do what they want to do. Okay, they don't make it easy to not think about them. No, that's true. That's that is very true. That is very they true. But I'm, you know, I'm not going to be rushing out to buy the book. Okay. I'm not going to read okay. Harry's book ever. Fair, fair enough. Um, take me back to to yeah, to nineteen to mid nineteen eighties, Andrew Hay. Where 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 were you? You were. Did you like Adam? Kind of switch 
schools halfway through or yeah i mean i went to a lot of different i went to a few different schools uh especially when i was like younger i went to uh we call them primary schools but uh sort of junior schools up to about the age of 12 and then i went to the same school from 12 till uh till 18 um but yeah my i'm a bit younger i guess than adam is in the story so i was you know i'm like four years older i guess than adam actually is in 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 the story but you know i was just you know troubled kid i guess as lots of kids were you know um struggling with like understanding who i was and my sexuality and all of that kind of thing and um the difficulties of that and you know it's hard enough to be a teenager at the best of times trying to fit into the world around you and as a gay kid in the middle of the 80s that was even harder because you couldn't even see a world that that could be a possibility of you actually being able to tell somebody how you felt or even like believe you know even accepting how I felt was a hard enough thing so no I was I was one of those kids that on the outside probably looked oh he's happy enough you know he's got friends seems to be fine inside something else is happening right yeah there is that there is that churning yes that, uh, a young gay boy must uh, experience especially exactly. in the 1980s yeah totally totally yeah yeah um we we talked about uh, this a little bit uh, in uh, in Esquire, but you mentioned the fact that even before the teenage years, even before you know mm. puberty and, and and sexuality became a a part of your being, the kids seemed to sense that something was different. Can you? Uh, yeah, and they always did. I, 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 yeah, it was. You know, I had a rough time. I suppose about nine or ten, and you know, I was being bullied at school and they obviously could sense a difference. They would call me, say I was a girl and like, you know, you know, try and beat me up and just do all those things that bullies do. Um, and uh, they could see, obviously sense something that I couldn't even sense. But I also think it's probably how you project yourself into the world. If you're a kid that's going through something, you project something into the world differently and kids pick up on that. And so I think that's what they pick up on. They pick up on difference. They pick up on unhappiness they pick up on all of those things and that's what they then dig into uh, and want to attack, which I'm not sure what that says about human nature because it's kind of terrifying that eight, nine, 10, 11 year old kids have a desire to pick on uh, people that feel different. And maybe it's changing. It is changing. Although I don't think it is changing because kids are still having horrible times at school and, and being picked on. So yeah, yeah, it it was, it's a, and I always wonder sometimes if, um, if I ever went back and spoke to those kids, they would probably have no memory of it. They would probably have no memory of anything they said or did. They probably don't even remember it. I find that interesting because it's all from, obviously from my perspective, but I imagine if I confronted them, they were like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember that. Yeah. You know, because they Uh, were kids. Of course they were just kids dealing with their own shit. You know, they're dealing with whatever they're dealing with. So, you know, they aren't always to know what they're doing and what the effect is that having on other people. Right. Of course. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, um, uh, it's going along with the crowd. It's just sort it's, it's not, uh, not making waves. Yeah. Yeah. And we all do it. We've all done it to other people. I'm sure of it. You Mm -hmm. know, we've all been nice to people and we've all been shitty to people. So it's, and you don't always realize when you're, you know, being an asshole. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm I'm always curious though about you know the the sort of pre-awareness of sexuality 
and post-awareness of sexuality. Like the, mm. the difference, the things that make you different before sexuality exists within you as a thing. Mm. Um, in you, I mean, I, I, there is no answer for this, but is it like, is it all part of gayness or does one lead to the next or what, what's your take? Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because it's the things that you start to be drawn towards when you look back at it, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That I was, mm -hmm. you know, 11 years old and watching nine to five every mm -hmm. afternoon. Do you know what I mean? Or like, sure. that's not that's not a straight boy thing to do. Let's face it, at the age of 11. Yeah. Um, all the things, the friends that you want to have or why you want to hang out with them or, you know, when you watch, you know, I was talking to someone today about some, you know, kid movies that I loved and I was talking about The Goonies. And I remember, I think I was in love with Sean Astin in that movie as a kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're both like, I don't know, 11 years old, whatever it was. And I'm like, I want, I want him to be my best friend. I want to spend all of my time with that kid. And as an adult, you can be like, oh, yeah, I understand. I was basically falling in love with him. But I didn't even, I wasn't, it was like pre-sexual. Um, yeah. So I think looking back, you can see those things and the things that you're drawn to. Um, it's just your character coming into shape, I think. Um, right. Yeah, I find it, it is, it's really, it's really interesting. I don't know what comes first <laughs> or yeah. what is the, what's the lead and what's the cause and what's the chicken, what's the egg. I don't know. I don't really know what leads to what. Right. It's, it is interesting, you know, and having done this show for uh, a long time now, it is it's interesting that the same songs and uh, celebrities and TV shows seemed to affect uh, young gay people in the same way, whether they were in, you know, in England or in Missouri or, you know, wherever they were, like certain things pierced through and like got directly to young gay boys. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I guess you're seeing difference, are you? Or you're seeing, usually you're seeing, I think it's not necessarily the most attractive person or whatever it might be. That's not who speaks to you as a young gay kid. It's something else, I think. So I think, coming back to Sean Astin, there was a shyness to that kid and a, and a sweetness and a kindness. And I was like, oh yeah, he could be my friend and I'd want to be with him. And, you know, I don't know, there's something, you're drawn to something. And he had a brace, I remember. And so I don't know what it is. And, and he was lonely, I guess, as a little kid and tried to make friends. And you're just drawn to difference, I think. Yeah. What was your, um, you know, as, as you aged into your teenage years, what was your relationship with your, your peers like? Uh, so look, I had a lot of friends, you know, I've still got a lot of my friends that were from school, but it was, I, as I was starting to come to terms with uh, my sexuality, I found it just very, very complicated. And I spent a lot of my time, I had girlfriends, I had girlfriends up into my twenties, early twenties. So I was going through the, and I'm not actually to say I'm going through the motions of that. It's not quite true because I was thinking about it recently and uh, I actually was speaking to someone who I used to have a relationship with back then, a girl. Um, and I was talking to them and I was like, you do realize I was actually in love with you. It just that I was not, you weren't the right gender for me, but I was in love with them. And I still think of those relationships, some of those relationships I have with girls as being very, very important to me. And they were, we were in love with each other. And I, I, felt, I felt bad almost in a way because some of those girls, they were like, well, he was just using me as a, 
as a beard. And actually, that was never true. Or maybe it was a little bit true. But at the same time, I also was trying to understand love. And I was realizing, and I do realize now that love can be in all sorts of forms. doesn't necessarily have to be attached to sexual attraction at the same time. Yeah, it's, yeah, you don't, you're not, um, to be gay is not to fence in your emotions or your, or anything. Like it doesn't have to be all one thing. No, and I wish that people would have a slightly more uh, rounder view of love in general. And, you know, and then you know it with friends that you don't have any sexual relationship with. You love them deeply, yeah. you know, and with family members. And, there's, you know, there's, love is almost a separate entity from sexual attraction. And it's just quite nice when those two things go together. But they also can be very separate as well. Right. Uh, what is your, uh, what's your, are you, an only child? I've got a younger brother and younger. Uh, two stepsisters who I've known okay. since they were tiny, tiny, tiny kids. So they're basically my sisters as well. So yeah, okay. there's four okay. of us. Yeah. Okay. But I'm the oldest. Of course, oh, I'm the oldest. You know, you of know course. what oldest kids are like. Yeah. You know, well, like. Well, know. what do you mean by that? Oh, I mean, older kids are weird. They they sort of both like they're the glory children, obviously, because they're the oldest and the first, and parents secretly, you know will always see them differently because they're the first. And then mm. they also have all the pressure on them of being the firstborn, which is a weird pressure at the same time. So I didn't know. Like I when I I meet people, I've got a theory that basically two people they can't you can't have a relationship with someone if you're both the eldest children. Interesting. You have to, you it's never gonna work. It's gonna be a nightmare. So you have to be with someone that is basically not the eldest. And if I look at all of the relationships I know, it's usually the case that it's usually one person is the eldest child in their family and one of them is like the second or the third or whatever it might be within the family. Two eldest children together, nightmare. What? Explain. Because <laughs> I think there's, I don't know, I just think they don't work. I think yeah. a relationship is, a, is is something that's always very hard to sort of keep whatever that is. And I, for some reason, I think it seems to work better. But I could be totally wrong. Obviously, this is a complete generalization. So let's just see, think about people that you know and think about relationships and see if uh, see if my stupid theory holds any water. I'm 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 going to be doing the field work. <laughs> uh, what about two youngest children? uh that doesn't work either really no that won't work okay. now that i think about it every like my you know when my mum and dad were together one of them is the oldest and one of them was the the youngest i think about my relationship i'm the oldest my partner's the third in line uh my brother is the youngest but he's with someone who's the oldest like i mm -hmm. think it's like a it's quite common i think yeah well uh so what's your what was your relationship with your parents growing up they uh, divorced when you were uh, when I was nine yeah when I was nine, nine okay. or ten yeah so they divorced when I was about nine or ten. I lived with my dad not with my mom after after that divorce um, which was quite rare in the 80s you know it's quite rare now actually but it was quite rare in the 80s to to be with your dad and not be with your with, with your mom uh, so it was yeah difficult difficult time as obviously um, and but you know I've, I've always had a good relationship with my family doesn't mean it's not been complicated at times with my mom and my dad but you know yeah definitely they like supportive parents without a doubt you know and i i think you know all you can ever ask for your parents is that they do the best that they can do you know and i think again partly the film is about that as well it's you know parents are just 
there's also children trapped in adults' bodies and they're children of other parents. And I think, as you know it, you get older, you don't suddenly have all the answers. Uh, so the kids expect their parents to know everything and do everything right. And we put way too much pressure on them to do that because, of course, they're just cute. And I, it's so funny to me when I think back, like when my parents got divorced, my mom was in her early 30s. She married my dad when she was 19. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, when I was 31, I could barely get out of bed in the morning. Do you know what I mean? I was like yeah. drunk the whole time. You know, how... And, and it's so interesting to think of your parents in that relationship to time, how old they were at a certain point and how, yeah. what it must have been like for my dad, who would, was probably 34 and suddenly looking after two kids. It's like, you yeah. know, I couldn't I certainly couldn't have done that when I was 34. Sure. What, what did your parents do exactly right? Um, look, I think they've always been supportive. They've always been um uh caring i've i've never you know felt that i mean maybe all kids feel like they 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 don't get enough love from their parents that they you know especially when you're a queer kid it gets so wrapped up in that because you're like are they only going to like me if i'm straight and if i'm gay are they now going to not love me anymore and are they gonna not want to be my parents um especially back then it's very different now but back then that was a genuine fear that you had growing up was that if you came out to your parents, they would just reject you. And people were rejected. Kids were rejected by their parents. And they still are, let's face it. Let's not pretend yeah. that sometimes they're not. So um, I think there was so much fear growing up that that would be what would happen. It took me, as I say, a lot. I didn't come out to them until I was 24 or something, mm -hmm. 24, 25. So it took a long time of trying to work that out. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. They, they're good. My, you know, they're good. They're both very good people. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're kind. They're always they're kind parents. Mm -hmm. You, uh, you and I were within a couple of years of each other. We both had the incredible benefit of of growing up in a time when pop music was the gayest shit in the world. That's <laughs> true. Uh, true. Much of which is is reflected in the in the, the songs that are chosen for all of us strangers. We have you know Frankie goes to Hollywood and. Uh, Pet Shop Boys and Erasure and uh, yeah, yeah. Communards. It, it, what an what what a strange little island of hope that was. It's very bizarre, isn't it, when you look at it now? And it's, it's like like sort of early eighties, eighty one to eighty five, I think, was the was the period in British pop music, especially when it was so queer. Like you watch, I watch old episodes of Top of the Pops, which was a music TV show we had in the UK, mm -hmm. and. You know, you're like, Jimmy Somerville is there singing on stage and it's the queerest thing you've ever seen. And somehow it was all oddly accepted in music at that time. And they were going to number one, you know, Frank Lewis Hollywood had three number one singles in a row and were adored. And, and no one sort of questioned it or Culture Club, Boy George. No one, I mean, they, they did obviously all experience intense homophobia behind the scenes but it somehow was accepted but then i think it changed i think when aids really started uh having an impact there was a visceral uh reaction to gayness and those bands would not have been able to be the same way in the late 80s or even into the 90s so i think there was this kind of period of time when queer music could sort of come into the mainstream and then i do think that that AIDS sort of terrified everybody 
and there was a there was a backlash against that kind of um you know music or you know how people looked and all those kind of things um so i think there was a sort of brief halcyon days and a and a and a sort of insight in what might have happened if aids had not happened like an alternate yeah. you can imagine an almost alternate universe of what could have happened yeah do you do you remember hearing and seeing the video for small town boy by Brunsky oh yeah Beat? yeah uh, that's that's it's wild that, that video is wild it, it is and, and and so brave of Jimmy Somerville. He's like, no, I'm doing this song and I'm going to wear, I'm going to go on top of the pops and I'm going to wear the pink triangle. Uh, and I am not afraid of like letting anybody know that I am gay. Yeah. Kind of amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah. Especially at the time. And and the, yeah. I, I was, I, I the, that video made such an impact and just rewatching it recently, it was like, I, it's it's such an actual it's it's um three for a music video it's like there's a real like there's dimension to the story you yeah. know um jimmy somerville goes to the whatever the local ymca or whatever and there's a a, a guy diving who's not even particularly attractive but looks at yeah. him in a way that like you can feel yeah or that you might have looked at someone or somebody might have looked at you. And then that guy beats him up. And then it's like, the message of the whole thing is like, kid, you have to get out. You have to leave. Yeah. Like you have to go to the city. And it nails that kind of, it's like that, that kind of the mixture of melancholy and sadness and hope Mm -hmm. and tragedy and also possible future of joy all wrapped up in a song, which is why I think it's, it's such a genius, genius song. It's funny whenever, because, you know, that song is used a lot now. Uh, and whenever I hear it in a context that isn't queer, I get really annoyed. Of course. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what's it doing in this film about straight people? And they're dancing to it in a nightclub. You want to go, hold on. That's yeah. not where this song should be being played. This is like a queer anthem. And can we just please have that for us, please? Don't don't put please. it in this, in this movie. I want that to be ours. Please. And you know, um, a, a, a wonderful thing that has uh, happened in my life is that our friend Stephen Beresford introduced me to a thing called Ducky, yep. which I've talked about on this podcast at length. My my favorite club night in the world at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern, where yep. uh, some uh, very important parts of all of us strangers are filmed, yep. where for the first time in my life, I felt like the other kids who were listening to that same music and getting the same messages mm. from it from literally all over all over the United States and Europe were all together on one mm. dance floor. And I, I had that feeling that people talk about in terms of gay bars where you like walk in and you're like, oh, this is. This is it. Yeah, I was yeah. like 40 when it happened, but yeah. it felt like, oh, no, this is we we're I mean, here. We, I adored that. Like it's sort of late 90s, like the, the gay scene in London was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And Ducky was a huge part of that. And I would be in Ducky most Saturday nights. Like I adored yeah. that place. And there were so many other clubs, pop stars and the ghetto and all of these clubs that were sort of queer clubs, but they were alternative queer clubs where they felt that way to me. So they were indie kids. They were the kids that grew up on, on indie music and wanted to listen to the Smiths in a nightclub rather than listening to techno and i loved that scene i was i was you know i've had some of my happier memories of 
of being in those places. And I lived in Kennington, which was quite close to Ducky. So it was a yeah, it was a common place I would go. So it was weird filming there because I hadn't been back there for a while. I was like, oh God, I remember being on this dance floor. And I think it used to close at about two o'clock. It never went on too late. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, you know, and such a crazy eclectic mix of music. You would have, you know, you'd have like Grace Jones and then there would be Depeche Mode and then there would be some weird avant-garde music from like, you know, the 70s. And then you'd get yeah, something more poppy and modern and you'd get all of this mix of music. And it was amazing. It was so good. And 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 the DJs are are to me more like a wedding DJ where it's they yeah. let an entire song play and fade out and almost completely fade all the way to to silence and then the other song starts. It's not there's no beat matching. There's no nope. nobody's trying to mash anything up. It's just nope. here are your songs. And the joy of coming on, st- you know, coming onto that dance floor and being with people that you feel are like you. I mean, they're not always like you, let's face it. The community is not always, you know, you know, everything you want it to be. But in, th- in that, those moments, it can feel like that. And you're singing along to whatever it might be, how soon is now, or you're, you know, Le on Rose, whatever it might be. And you're like, oh my God, this is the best night ever. This is the best thing ever. Yeah. I, I had the fortune of being uh, in town for the last one, the last weekly one. Ah, yeah, and yeah. and they like took over a whole bunch, like a, a ton of outdoor space. And oh. the last thing that happened was there's that sort of commuter um, uh, pedestrian tunnel. Yeah. And that was all part of it. And the night closed with Justin Vivian Bond singing oh. A Little Respect. Oh and my God. like hundreds of middle-aged gay oh. men bellowing along. I truly was like, oh, this oh is... Oh my God. I mean, that makes me, my, the hairs on my back of my neck go up just thinking about it. Yeah. That, that song is so great. That arrangement, it's so great. And, and singing that with people, like, yeah. is is always, especially especially when you're like a middle-aged, like 50-year-old, yeah. and you're singing along to a little respect. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're, yeah. Catharsis. Yeah, uh, na- now it exists as a weekly daytime party, which very much speaks to me. Uh, does like it the, really it does yeah it's down ah. the road at the eagle oh it's the um, eagle yeah, yeah but it goes until seven which it's like perfect dance all day get some I dinner really what day is it on what day I, th- I think it's saturday i think it's monthly saturday. on a saturday um there you go. that's that's my understanding well next time you're there dave tell me and we'll go to ducky on a saturday oh my God. Oh my we can God. still be home and sleep by eight o'clock it's perfect 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 a dream <laughs> um how did how did the novel strangers come to you um it was sent to me by the producers basically and they were you know they knew i would i i I'd spoken about wanting to do something that was close to genre without being genre uh and um they sent me this which is a very traditional ghost story really in the in the novel and i just you know i wasn't sure that i it would work for me and even after i read it i was like can i make this the thing i want it to be and it needed you know for me to embrace it i had to be changed quite fundamentally um but yeah, I suddenly, the, the the idea of being able to go back and meet your parents felt like it unlocked something story-wise that meant I could talk about all of those things about queerness and family and all of those things I'm sort of interested in in a really interesting way. Yeah. And, um, God, uh, there's there's so there's so much I uh, I want to talk about, but I, um, I've, the thing that I've been thinking about the most is the... Um, is like, and we talked about this again a little bit uh, for for Esquire, but the connection between 
parental love and and you know romantic love um mm. and the idea that um like to be see to to like be seen and understood by a parent it frees you up in a way to uh, reveal more of yourself romantically or or to to like pursue romance more authentically i don't know if i'm making sense by saying that but uh it, it feels like that's the journey that adam is on the more the more that he sort of is able to connect with those parental units the 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 stronger his relationship with harry becomes yeah i think that's very very true it's about first of all him understanding that he needs to be known by them but then yeah. I think for me, it's like, okay, what's the next stage after that? Which is realizing that love is not a one-way street, especially when you go into romantic love later on or love with friendship or whatever that might be. It's a two-way street. And you need to also make sure you know them and understand them and are compassionate to them. And in a weird sense within the film, he gets to feel known by them and loved by them and accepted by them. And he also starts to know them better. And he also starts to understand what they need. And in the story, um, towards the end, when they have to go, let's say, which is what we all have to do with our parents, there's, a, there's almost like a reversal when he realises he has to be there for them in that moment. And I think so. that's what was most interesting to me about sometimes we can be a bit selfish about our understanding of love. And it's like, how does my partner make me feel? And, and what is it about me? And like, listen to my problems and let me talk about me. And of course, that's not what it's about. It has to be both ways. And I think what Adam sort of understands is that the, the vital importance of being known and understood and accepted, but also the vital importance of being there for someone else when they need you. And sometimes yeah. you have to put them before you and they become more important than you do in the moment. And I'm not saying that's always easy either, of course, because we're all pretty selfish when it comes down to it. But if you can get yeah. that right and realize when your partner needs you and you have to put them first and you need to hold them and look after them and comfort them, which is what you wanted from your parents when you were a kid, I feel like that sort of helps you understand or helps me understand at least what, um, you know, what love can be, you know, and right. what you can do. Yeah. And and Harry uh, Paul Mescal shows up uh, the first time we see him. He is well, I guess the second time he he, he presents as somewhat needy and messy. Yeah, totally. He's messy, and he. I, and I always feel like that when you see Paul's character, and the reason that Andrew cannot let him in, Adam uh, Adam can let him in in that moment. It's because it's almost like he's holding up a mirror to himself. He's seeing someone else's desperation. Um, and, you know, Harry tries all the ways he can to not be alone that night. But the desperation and that loneliness being forced onto Adam is almost too much for him to cope. And I think it's so true in life, isn't it? You can see people who you know are suffering. But for you to engage in that is actually quite terrifying because you're like, how am I going to help them? Am I going to be able to help them? And I don't know if I can deal with all of that emotional, like, whatever that is, pain, and so I think we're not very good at reaching out to people when they need help. Mm. Uh, it scares us. And I think that's what it does to Adam. It scares him. And in many ways, he understands as the film goes on that he, you shouldn't be afraid of reaching out and being there for somebody else when they need you. Um, right. you know. 
to, to yeah. not be strangers, I guess, in that moment. Yeah. I, I, th I think back to my early dating, my early, like, you know, same sex dating or, or searching for a, a partner or whatever. And it was, it's very clear to me now that I was looking for somebody who would, who like would show the rest of the world that I'm okay. I, I had to mm. meet somebody who was completely okay and untroubled and, mm. and without any emotional needs or trauma mm. or baggage so that the world would see me that way, or I would see me that way, or, or that it would be an end run around the shit that I had to work through or whatever. Yeah, um, that's really, and that's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting. And it is funny, isn't it? Like you go for the person that you think is going to help you. And that's yeah. what you're looking when you're looking into relationship. Uh, yeah. And of course, that's why relationships are so difficult because you've got two different people searching for the thing that's going to help them. You're not going into the world. I mean, actually, that's not true because some people go into relationships wanting broken uh, birds, let's say, uh -huh. so they can try and like fix them. So that's another thing that some people do in relationships. So you're always looking for something and it's, it's why they're tricky and why they, you know, often don't work out and, you know, uh, complicated. Right. What was your early dating life like once you were out? God. Uh, like drunken. I think that's probably uh -huh. the best way to put it. Yeah. yeah like um, I went out a lot and, you know, met lots of people and had a good time. And so I, yeah, I had, I didn't first couple of years of going out you know I wasn't in relationships with anybody I would always be that kind of person that would sort of see someone three times and then that would be it that kind of thing like I'd yeah. start to freak out after like the third date um and be like no no this isn't working this isn't gonna work this isn't who I want to be with uh and yeah and then uh, I you know then I had a few more longer term relationships uh and then I met the my partner I'm with now so yeah just you know Usual, like I think when you go, when you finally come out, you sort of want to be a teenager again. You missed out sure. on being a teenager. So you want to go out. You know, I wasn't, when I first came out, I certainly wasn't thinking, oh, I just want to now my, meet Mr. Right and be in a relationship. That's not what I was wanting to do. I was, you like, oh my God, I can do this, right? I can go out yeah. and I can, you know, make out with people and I can like have fun. And yeah, that was, was you know, yeah. it's important right. stage for lots of gay people. Absolutely. And I think the benefit of waiting a bit is that you you do have a little bit more wisdom or self-knowledge or something yeah. uh, when you do embark on that like yeah. second take at adolescence. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or you like to think you do. And then, of course, you don't because you're still, you know, haunted by so much like baggage and complication. And that's, you know, I always think that about the gay scene like back then it's like there's a lot of damaged people who had had quite a hard time like finding joy and liberation and connection and and all of those things but you know put a lot of people that have been through something quite painful together it's, you know it's it's both joyful but it doesn't mean it's always easy you know it's right. complicated yeah. Yeah. yeah, your formative years, you you have walled off a part of yourself, and you are guarding it, like you're guarding it, like for your life. You're like, I yeah. can't let this out. I can't, you know. There was a lot. Of, but it was always amazing back then when you went. You'd spent years not being able to talk about things. To then, like, I mean, I remember whenever you ended up say going home with someone, you would always be like, "So what was it like when you came out? Or are you out? Or 
you know, those kind of questions, which back then, which maybe it's different now for younger people because they're all, so many more of them are out earlier and doesn't become a thing. But back then it was always a conversation you'd end up having. Um, yeah. And it was always, you know, interesting. And lots of people had very difficult relationships with their parents, you know, yeah. or they weren't out or they didn't see their dad or they didn't see their mom anymore, or whatever it might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would, I would like to get into the movie, but we're going to, we're going to take a break. This is now, if take you have not seen, if you have not seen all the strangers, this is where you get off. This is your stop. We will come and pick you up after you've seen the film. <laughs> we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. We are back with Andrew Hay. Uh, was that a refreshing break? Very refreshing. Okay, good. good. Very. It was. I did so much stuff in that break. I've just really, good. really relaxed. Good. And, you know. Good. Yeah. Good. Glad to hear it. Glad. Glad we could help. Uh, so, do you see all of us strangers? You saw the 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 novel Strangers as a ghost story. Do you do you define all of us strangers as a ghost story? Uh, no, I don't. I never. I, I I try to do two things at the same time. I try to say, okay, in the structure of the story and how it works. I'll have enough there that if you want to read it as a ghost story in a more traditional sense, that it does work uh, or work enough, let's say. But at the same time, I wanted to subvert the idea of what a ghost story was. So you're asking those questions like, is this a ghost story? Are they ghosts? Mm -hmm. But they're not doing things that ghosts do. Like they're touching each other and they're, they just look like it's normal people and they're just hanging around. And there's all of those things that actually you don't see in ghost stories. Because there's always a weird logic to ghost stories uh, that people can't, what ghosts can and cannot do. Um, and the stages in the script, it was more that they were ghosts. And then I sort of reined it back a little bit. And, and I wanted to play around with that. And in the end, in the writing, I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to stop caring about that. I can't worry about that too much. And I want it to be a representation of what Adam needs and wants in his life. And that is the most important thing. That is the emotional truth of the story. And all of these things, these people have been sort of brought back into existence because of that uh, sense of longing and need to understand or whatever it might be. So that was sort of how I saw it. But I also don't mind if people do see it in a more logical, like my brain is not very logical. My brain doesn't work on like, I mean, I'm terrible with plot. If I watch another movie, I'm like, what's happening? I don't understand that. I can't watch like, murder mysteries and things i'm like no idea i it doesn't it doesn't work for me i'm like i don't know what's happening um uh but some people that's how their brain likes to work as well so i i i did i do wanted to work on that level for them uh as well but i'm a bit more fluid with what i think it is right uh are are people asking you to define exactly what has happened and what what the rules are and who was alive when and how and yeah. all that they do and look i think there is a there is a logic to when let's say harry was alive there is a logic to that that makes sense to me and you know certainly i mean maybe you might need to watch it a couple of times to see to really go like oh i see that's what happened um but it is there but it it's always um cloudy enough that you can sort of feel it rather than I, what I didn't want it to be was like, Oh, look, it's not the sixth sense. I'm not telling yeah. it's not the sixth sense. It's something like stranger and more discombobulating and like, oh, where are we going now with this rather than like, Oh, I'm going to have a reveal that 
that Harry's not was well, not alive or um, but to me there is a logic that Harry was alive on that first night he comes to the door and that's the time he's alive and the rest of the time he's not um, but people have all kinds of opinions and decisions and you know and I think what I found really interesting more than anything else and it actually only clicked to me the other day is that I am very well aware that people are like oh my god I can't believe you made Harry be dead and I want this to be that they're in love with each other and they live happily happily ever after. I really do, you know, I know that that's what some people think. And I get it. I do sort of get it as well, that that's maybe what they want the ending to be, that he comes back from seeing his parents and he sees Harry and now they're together and that's it. And that was all real. But I realised what it was. This is not a love story, but it's a story about love. And they're two different things. This was not a love story in a traditional sense between Harry and Adam and the start of a relationship. That isn't what it ever was. It's a story about love. And so I feel like for me, I had to end the film in a way that took it to something else, that took it to about the importance of love outside of everything else and after loss and the things that we need to do for other people and the things that Adam realises he needs to do for the next time he meets somebody who wants to be let in or whatever it might be or what he could have done or whatever it might be. So I, I, at one point I remember writing and thinking, do I just have them coming in and it's all been real that they really were just ghosts and Harry's real all along and they kiss and then they have a nice ending. And to me that just wasn't enough. I needed it to become something else that was a bit more challenging, I suppose, or a bit more makes you question or makes you think about your understanding of love and all of that, those things that I think are important. That was sort of how I came to what is the film. Yeah. It's to me, the ending felt like he has, um, he has uh, developed a, like a more mature relationship with his parents mm. and he has sort of uh, and like a, a fuller and deeper way of loving another human being. Mm. And then from that kind of ascends to like a, a higher plane of mm. like uh, understanding of humanity. Yeah. 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 So agreed. Agreed. And I think if, yeah, if you, I, no. And I think it's often about how you see, if you see the movie as all this kind of representation of something in his head, which I, I guess in reality I do, that it's a, it's a representation of that, then I didn't want to suddenly bring it into the world of the real at the end, which it probably would have been if he'd just come back and they would have lived happily ever after. It just suddenly goes into the real. And I wanted this to essentially go up into the cosmos and be about, you know, actually we're all going to lose people we will all lose everybody or they will lose us. Or even if we're in a relationship, we might not end up being that relationship forever. You know, they, they could die or we just don't argue with them, whatever it might be. But all of those loves of our lives that we've had, they all still exist somehow, you know, you know, and I'm not a particularly spiritual person, but weirdly making this film, I'm like, well, maybe I am more spiritual than I thought I was. Not in any religious sense, but in the power and the importance of that, love that two people or whoever can have for each other and that somehow exists somehow i think of the love yeah. of pe for people i've had who i've lost and i'm like wow it's still as strong as it ever was and actually 
it's stronger sometimes or it continues to develop even though you don't haven't seen that person for 30 years like a grandparent or a parent or whatever it might have been that you might have lost it's like wow but the love still start is still developing even yeah. though they are not there and it and it interacts with the other loves yes. and relationships in in the universe in your emotional universe which then connects with other people's emotional universe it, exactly. it's we're all yeah, and think about and think about that on a just a scale from the beginning of time. That's a lot of people loving each other <laughs> through mm -hmm. time, having an effect on other people. Uh, right. And so, I do think it is about you know having you know realizing that those things sort of echo through time. The love that a parent gives a child becomes how that child ends up loving and then that child will love someone else and they might have kids and it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on for all eternity right. um and so it is the thing that is passed down weirdly uh, sort of the emotional dna of people's lives right and uh, how better to uh like who who better to score that moment than frankie goes to hollywood because again i like the sort of the kind of subversiveness of it in a weird way, because it is actually quite a transgressive song. When you think about it, it came out as AIDS was hitting, and it was a story by a, a queer man was writing a story in a in a, a song, sorry, in an enormous operatic sense about the power of love and how it's about looking after somebody. Like, and if you listen to the words of the song, it's about, I'll protect you from the hooded claw, I'll keep the vampires from your door. It's about, I will look after you. And, you know, this is, you know, as AIDS was having a decimating effect on a whole community. And then this song is also played at weddings. You know what I mean? And yeah. at, at, at heterosexual weddings, and they're loving this song. And there's a slightly transgressive nature to it. And I sort of love that somehow I can put it in this gigantic big shot and this song can be playing and it's huge and it's loud and it's a little bit ridiculous but that's okay you yeah. know what i mean yeah and and the video is the nativity and the video is say. the nativity like the greatest religious yeah. uh, you know iconography yeah. of of the of the time exactly. yeah they were they were not fucking around like they were they... not fucking around they were knew what they were doing they knew what they were doing and they were doing it in a way that it was sort of perceived as mainstream pop music yeah and and almost as shocking as co-opting the 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 birth of christ they covered born to run they did cover born to run yeah they really did yeah i mean they I, they 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 are they are due for a uh a, a reevaluation. and then on the same album they have a song called crisco kisses yes and you're like, okay, now maybe people don't know what Crisco is, but it was, you know, it's pretty, you know, you're having a song there. They're not, they weren't afraid to like, you know, in the first video for Relax, which was banned. I mean, if you actually yeah. get to see that video, you're like, it's essentially an orgy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, wow, okay, right, that's good. You go for it, man, boys. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Yeah, off you go, Holly Johnson. You do it. Off you go, Holly Johnson. Yeah. Still with us, thank goodness. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And and I think Paul Rutherford is like a sheep farmer or something. Did I hear that? Is that what I think that is true? Yeah, I think that really is true. Yeah. It's which is hilarious to me. I kind of hope he still has like leather underpants on with like a zip on his underpants, yeah. like he used to wear underneath his sheep 
farming outfits. That's, yeah. that's, that's what I'd like to imagine it is. I want to believe. Yeah. Um, the, finally, the, the movie addresses the idea of loneliness mm. um, in, in a unique way. Do you think that the loneliness of the of the queer individual is is a unique experience or, or will it continue to be a unique experience? I think it, it it's a specific experience. I think, you know, growing, I think it's going to change and keep changing. And it really does. I mean, look, listen, it, it's being queer. You are not so much of an outsider as you were, as you used to be. Absolutely not. Yeah. You know, you know, you, you can be fully, thank God, accepted into society, not everywhere, obviously, but in some places, wholeheartedly and so that has an interesting effect on you because you're not an outsider anymore you're actually an insider even if you do still think you're an outsider you're not particularly on the outside anymore you're pretty much on the inside you know yeah. you know but there is an experience for outsiders that it feels different and also i will say that that loneliness that you might feel is not always a bad thing sometimes you can in, you can love inhabiting that space because i sometimes feel like it's always seen as a negative but Britishness, for example, in England, we're very, very, um, we love the idea of melancholy. We embrace it. We actually embrace sadness. And I even think that the word melancholy has a slightly different meaning in America than it does in the UK. To, to In America, it means sad, right, I feel. But to English people, it's delicious and lovely. And yes, it's sad, but it's sort of, beautiful at the same time so I, I i think the relationship with loneliness that queer people have is quite complex and interesting um and it's not necessarily the same as being depressed and miserable right there's a, there's a there's, yeah there's a purpose and a, a usefulness to the maybe not maybe loneliness is, is not the word i'm looking for but the the solitude maybe exactly it. yeah sorry but also and also can be lonely that's the other truth of mm -hmm. it sometimes it could actually be lonely to not feel like you're accepted by the world to not feel like you're accepted by your by your family whoever it might be and that does still exist i know a lot of young people who are still struggling with their place in the world um even if the world is saying oh it's fine you can be as queer as you want now that doesn't mean that they automatically can can feel okay in it and i think we all know that like there's a lot of terribly sad stories that you hear of people that you know can't cope with uh their you know difference in the world still right right andrew hey thank you so much for taking the time it's my to pleasure as always during, yeah. during this during this busy exciting moment yeah Hopefully next uh, time I see you, we'll be everything. on the dance floor in Ducky. That's when I'll see you next time. It will hopefully. be. It will yeah. be. It will Fantastic. be. We'll get it on the books. Andrew, thank you so much. Exactly. Pleasure. Cheers, Dave. Thank you. Cheers. And that is our show. Please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at homophiliapod. Homophilia is a World of Wonder production, music by Ben Wise. Our executive producer is Renee Colvert. Our associate producer is Jess Walensky, and our audio engineer is Justin Matson. Many thanks to Michael Pressman and everyone at World of Wonder. Homophilia.